0: Hey friends, welcome to Young and Sanctified. I'm your host, Justin, and today's guest is Dr. Veli Madi Karkainen. He's a world-renowned scholar, and we talk about a book he wrote a few years ago, Christian Theology in a Pluralistic World. And we talk about Christology in a pluralistic world, what that means, and how do we do theology and Christology in today's society. I'm really excited for this conversation and for you to hear it. It was one of the more academic ones because he does have two PhDs. He has been a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary for the past 20 years and a part-time professor as well at a different seminary. And hey, friends, if you like this podcast, I'd really appreciate it if first you could give me some feedback. I'd love to hear it, whether it's critical or encouraging. It helps me grow as a podcaster, but also leave a review that helps others find it. Thank you so much and enjoy this episode with Dr. Velimati Karkainen. Dr. Veli Veli-Matti Karkainen, thank you so much for joining the show today.
1: Thank you, Justin. It's a great uh, joy and privilege.
0: Yeah, just so you know and listeners know, and I, I shared with you uh, this in an email, your class that I took with you at Fuller has been the main influence for my current series on Christology, just you know, inviting different voices to speak on Christology. Christology. So I just want to formally thank you for that class and and for really opening the this door and this conversation for not not just me but many students. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I'm uh, humbled uh, to to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. So before we dive into the nitty gritty of your work and specifically Christology, I'd love to our listeners to hear just a little bit about you. I'm sure many of the listeners know who you are, especially those familiar with theology, but some may not. So could you just share who are you, why systematic theology, and what are you doing right now? Right. Um, Thank
1: you for this opportunity. Um, I am originally um, a native of uh, Finland, (laughs) I still am, so I was born and raised uh, in Finland in Northern Europe, and um, I have been teaching at Fuller now for the past 23 years. So it's uh, quite a long tenure. And I also have a a part-time teaching position at the University of Helsinki, Finland, uh, which is my alma mater, where I did uh, my academic studies. How did I end up becoming a professor of systematic theology? That's a good question. First of all... It was not something that I originally planned. Um, I've always been very much uh, interested in the Bible, particularly the New Testament, and I'm also an ordained um, minister of the Word and Sacrament uh, in the Lutheran Church. So as a preacher, um, you study the Bible, not only for your own spiritual nourishment, but also... Uh, for the sake of uh, preaching and uh, teaching. So my default expectation uh, at the time when I was still a quite young person, I did uh, my uh, first master's degree in theology. I already had finished previous master's degree in education and uh, philosophy, Mm -hmm. and I was aspiring to begin my doctoral studies uh, in that field, I was still under 30 years old, and so having a very strong uh, calling for a Christian vocation as a full-time uh, minister, um, I decided uh, to switch to theology. And I said, um, new testament was like my perhaps the default um expectation at the same time i was very deeply interested in why it is that the church believes what the church mm. believes like the doctrines and so uh, when i went to talk to my prospective doctoral mentor at the university of helsinki late uh, professor Do Manurma, and i was at the time Still um, a teaching, mean, missionary theologian in Thailand, where we also lived uh, as a family for many years, and I taught mm-hmm. full time. He suggested, um, Professor Mannerma, that um, I would consider Christian doctrine with the focus on uh, ecumenism, that's uh, ecumen- uh, ecumenical studies, um, compare various uh, Christian churches with regard to their doctrine, spirituality and such and I was instantly turned Mm. on by that um, suggestion and that led me to to do my my, both my uh, PhD and also a second dissertation which is called Habilitation Shift in Old Continental um, System Mm. uh, which is a systematic theology, but with a focus on um, ecumenical diversity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then when in 2000 um, or 1999, there was an opening in at Fuller, Miroslav Wolf, the famous uh, systematic theologian um, transitioned from Fuller to Yale. There was an opening, and I was elected or selected. And since 2000, I've been happily teaching. At Fuller, mm. So that's a kind a of long story short or short story yeah, long.
0: Yeah. No, thank you for sharing. I didn't know um, some of that story. I, I remember when I signed up for your class, I saw that, yeah, you had two PhDs, and I was just like, okay, I have to take this class. <laughs> 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 but I knew I, everyone was telling me it's going to be hard, and it was, but it was so worth it. So you wrote this phenomenal... Wait, Listeners, I just want to let them know, you, you have written so many wonderful books that uh, have, have impacted the church, impacted, you know, academic world, and go, go look them up, uh, it's a wonderful, and I'll have some of your work linked in the description so that you can check it out, but today uh, we will be discussing some of the work from your book, uh, Christian Theology in the Pluralistic World, A Global Introduction. So before we go into the nitty-gritty of Christology in the pluralistic world, can you uh, define what is a pluralistic world? What is pluralism when you're using that word?
1: Yes. It is a key word um, in my theological work and theological understanding. I use the term uh, pluralism or uh, pluralistic world in a quite uh, inclusive and uh, elusive manner, there, there are various types of pluralisms. For example, there are ideological uh, pluralisms. There are cultural, religious, theological. What I mean to say is that, um, unlike during the time of the Christendom, we live in a global world in which a number of important and um, influential ideologies, religions, worldviews, uh, um, lifestyles, um, side are to be found side by side, and we as Christian theologians, and I also I as the minister of the of the church, we need to be able to speak. Um, to a diverse group or groupings of uh, people, um, to introduce Christian faith, to introduce um, Christ, mm. to introduce uh, what is, in our understanding and in our conviction, the way to navigate your life in this mm. maze mm. Uh, of um, different uh, tastes.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and.
1: And I may add one thing to the pluralistic world. For example, religiously pluralistic world also belongs, very importantly, forms of secularism. We also talk about post-secularism. So the church also has a message and uh, has a concern for those who, for some reason or another, either do not wish to believe or do not want to believe or are hindered from believing, like, in many atheist um, contexts. Mm -hmm.
0: And I'm sure some listeners may be wondering, what's the difference between pluralism and syncretism? You know, I'm sure some people may jump to those conclusions. Can you define the differences?
1: Right. That's a very good question. Let me make a terminological distinction, which is uh, very familiar to all native English speakers and I do not belong among those, between plurality as a fact, and pluralism, which is an ism. So, for example, the plurality of religions means that uh, throughout history, there has been more than one religion uh, in the world, Uh, Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism. That is not, that is a fact. Um, Forms of pluralism um, ways of negotiating um, the fact of plurality. And one of those is syncretism, Mm. in which you believe that uh, the best way to negotiate between various faith um, commitments is not to take side with anyone, but believe, for example, like uh, John Hick, the great, late, Christian uh, syncretistic pluralist believed that all uh, paths, all religions are equally valid or invalid. Mm -hmm. So, even though I talk about uh, pluralism, when I say uh, Christian theology or constructive theology for the pluralistic world, I am not advocating a syncretistic um, uh, pluralism, but I am speaking to the world in which many uh, believe that the best way to negotiate the morality is to give up your own faith commitment. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I live in Los Angeles, um, go to the street and uh, and take a poll, a Gallup poll, and ask people what is the best, what is the most tolerant way of thinking about Muslims, um, Hindus, Sikhs, Jews living together and you often get uh, the the response: "Yes, let no uh, one religion uh, seek to convert, or seek to persuade, or even uh, seek to present their own mm. way understanding as the uh, religious way."
0: Mm. Mm. Got it. No, that's help- that's a helpful distinction. So moving to your work now, it. And I'm for listeners. I'm he. The book is um, generally broken up into like main doctrines. So uh, there's a whole portion just on Christology, and that's where a lot of these questions are coming from. So in in your work, you write about the, that the doctrine of Christ is in transition. So can you explain what what does that mean, and how is this shaping modern Christology today?
1: Right. <clears throat> In many ways, um, the context for speaking about Christology, about Christ, has changed. First, um, after the Enlightenment of the 18th and subsequent centuries, when so-called modernity uh, became a wonderful or an influential force uh, in in academic Mm -hmm. circles. The idea that um, it is human reason which is the arbiter, which which is the which the one uh, decides even upon uh, matters of faith, as ob- as opposed to uh, as <clears throat> as opposed to what it was before modernity, but particularly in that beginning from the mid twentieth century, um, the 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 talk about Christ has also changed in terms of this uh, growing uh, plurality and forms of uh, pluralisms. So that's one thing. So nowadays when when the church talks about Jesus Christ, you cannot assume that everybody knows who Jesus is, what Jesus Mm. did, uh, in what ways Jesus might be related uh, to the savior figures of other religions or what is the meaning of Christology for people who are secular who couldn't care less about religion so that's one the other thing is that um, and I know that there are many students who come to study in theological seminary and they look at the a course schedule and there is a course by the name Systematic Theology and maybe subheading like uh, Christology or something. Their perception or their assumption is that now we are going to talk about something very abstract, mm-hmm. something quite theoretical, maybe some historical antiquarian matters, but something that is not related uh, much to. What happens in my life? Uh, what happens to my family? What happens uh, to my in my work and and so on? Um, because oftentimes the way Christology, similarly to say the doctrine of the Trinity, the way they became, uh, the, the, the way they were presented in classical dogmatics is the old term for systematic theology, uh, in classical. Dogmatics. It it was abstract.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, it was uh, some of theoretical, uh, almost like up in the air. One of the many ways contemporary um, theology of Christ has become more exciting is that um, we have rediscovered the importance of the narrative and stories of Jesus in the New Testament. Hmm. The New Testament tells us, like in the Gospels, four times the narrative of Jesus. And even Paul, who is more theological in some of his writings, um, he is not delving into abstract um, um, speculations, but talking about very specific things, such as salvation, incarnation, Jesus ever committed mm. sin, if he has existed before our world has existed, and, and so forth. And theologians such as uh, Jürgen Monkman, and uh, you, Justin, you remember from the class, uh, his name was one which often appeared uh, in mm-hmm. my my teachings, uh, lectures, and, and writings. When he wrote his uh, groundbreaking Christological study, which uh, in English is called The Way of Jesus Christ. He did not divide the book according to the typical the, hu- the humanity of Jesus, divinity of Jesus, and the two natures, even though he talked about those. He looked at the way the evangelists of the New Testament, the, the gospel authors, are talking about Jesus, beginning uh, from he was born and then uh, he lived, uh, he taught, he Mm. healed, he freed uh, people from under the powers all the way to his parousia, his second uh, coming. So there is a a more dynamic, more um, I would say grounded way. And also one more thing that is very important in my book is that um, not only in new testament studies but also in in systematic theology we have rediscovered the theological and pastoral meaning of jesus's earthly life and ministry Mm. let me give you an example if you uh, pick say the gospel of matthew which uh, in our new testament is uh, the first one to be read even though not um, chronologically first uh, between uh, chapter 1, which talks about the genealogy and birth of the Messiah, you have to travel until about chapter 25 or indeed at uh, 26, before Matthew talks about the cross, the suffering and the resurrection, which are very important for all Christians and particularly for us evangelicals. But the bulk, more than twenty chapters, is devoted to topics such as Jesus' is teaching, the way he reached to the people, mm. um, like marginal people, to women, to the children, how what he taught, how he healed. So, and that is something that has been marginal in many of those abstract, mm. dogmatic uh, presentations um, of Christology. So, if you go to my book, the said a book. Um, there is a very long section introducing Christology through the lens of Jesus' earthly Mm -hmm. ministry, as opposed to some philosophical categories. And thereafter, there's a section in which I talk about various global and contextual perceptions of Jesus, like how do women Mm. talk about Jesus? How do, for example... um, Womanist theologians who are African American, Black women, what is the, what are some of the images of Jesus in, say, Asian mm. uh, Christology, or what is it about Jesus that that uh, turns on those liberationists in Latin America? Mm. Because this is to also to follow the. The method of the New Testament, in which various kinds of responses by a group of diverse people uh, is um, chronicled for us.
0: Mm-hmm. So, can you explain? So, I have two fo- like clarifying questions. I forgot to ask: What is systematic theology? And I love how you in, you know, in the, in the class you introduced it really well. That was really helpful for the understanding so could you share briefly on what are yeah what is systematic theology
1: sure absolutely it's first of all it's um u- useful and helpful to be reminded what it is not systematic theology is not an attempt to build a system like you know a number of silos of christian doctrines which are tightly packaged <laughs> And perhaps uh, put in the freezer <laughs> to to keep them um, um, alive. Rather, systematic theology is an attempt to um, outline a Christian vision and Christian understanding of our main uh, beliefs. Like when it comes to Christ, Christology. Systematic theologians look at the Bible, they look at church history, they look at philosophy, they look at the contemporary world, and in a very elusive and tentative way, we seek to sketch an outline of some of the key convictions. And if you remember, uh, Justin, I often used um, heuristically the metaphor of Web or network, Mm -hmm. like uh, in a web, if you touch on one part of the web, reparations can be found nearby and even to the end uh, of Mm -hmm. the web. So it's a living, dynamic um, vision, not a frozen, rigid, abstract system. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think that was a helpful clarification. I do think that's that's the assumption that i came into the class with is that oh we're just going to be learning hard facts and have to memorize so uh, i think a lot of people think that so you are you already um, started to talk about it can you discuss the challenges and opportunities presented by the diversity of global contexts? like you just mentioned it a few um but specifically in relation to uh, to jesus I think, first, why? Why is that important? Why can't we, as theologians, systematic theologians, just focus on the abstract? Why is it important to invite those kind of uh, perspectives?
1: Right. Uh, A very important uh, first thing to be said is that um, diversity, uh, global diversity or contextual diversity, is not a new like recent phenomenon. Rather, um, rightly understood global, contextual, cultural, linguistic diversity has been with the Christian church from the very beginning. Mm. Let me begin from the New Testament. You do not find in the New Testament one picture of the Christian church. Rather, you find various kinds of centers like in Antioch, in Jerusalem, in Galatia, in Smyrna, and so forth. And you already see in the New Testament um, fairly distinct, not separate, but fairly distinct uh, schools, such as Johannine school, Pauline Mm. school, or if you go to the, the Gospels a uh, Mathean uh, community um, talked about Jesus very differently from, say, Luke and school, and so forth. And as soon as uh, we come to the post-biblical time uh, at the turn of the first and uh, second, or the, the turn of the second uh, Christian century, we'll see that various types of Christian churches when they moved into different types of cultural, religious, socio-political and linguistic (laughs) environments, they began to shape the idea of who Jesus is differently. To give you one very well-known example for all of uh, us who have done some um, formal study of Christology. Even if we talk uh, about, because uh, there were two major linguistic uh, Areas by the third latest by the third even hmm. the late uh, second century, namely Latin speaking, which is um the avenue later to what we nowadays call uh, Catholicism and Protestantism like the, the Western Christianity and then Greek speaking, which later on developed into what we nowadays call um, Eastern Orthodox or oriental Orthodox. Churches. So, these two linguistic areas already began to talk about Jesus uh, in complementary terms. But even if we go to the Greek-speaking church, which uh, was very important in terms of uh, helping us develop Trinitarian and Christological doctrines, even in the Greek-speaking church, by the time of the same uh, latest uh, in the beginning of the 4th, even the 3rd century, the so-called Alexandrian school and Antiochian mm-hmm. school, uh, based in two different um, Eastern Christianity centers. For example, in the Alexandrian school uh, in Egypt, they talked a lot about Jesus's divine nature to the point that at times they were not emphasizing much uh, human nature, even though, of course, mm-hmm. they believed in it. And they talk about salvation in terms of divinization, deification, that we participate in the divine nature hmm. of the triune God. Whereas in Antioch, that is, that is Antioch of Syria, because there's more than one Antioch in the ancient world, they rather spoke um, very, quite a bit about the human nature of Jesus. And both of those are so-called orthodox interpretations as opposed to many heretical mm. and so if you go from there um, and jump to the 20th century it's a fairly big uh, jump, we come to the 20th century when uh, as we know what happens is that majority of Christianity by the mid 20th century is not anymore white uh, Euro American but mm. rather African Asian Latin American, there are more women among Christians than men, there are more younger people than elderly people, there are more Mm. poor than well-to-do. So, for example, I myself am an aging, uh, gray-haired, European, middle-class, maybe upper-middle-class Protestant. I belong to the big, big Mm. minority Mm. in global Christianity. And yet... We used to teach theology. In the way I received um, uh, wonderful in itself, but uh, but the uh, training at the University of Helsinki, it was still assumed that uh, people like myself um, are the ones who define who what theology is, what is important, what is right, what is wrong, what is important, and so forth. But the the recent decades have pushed us towards rediscovering, uh, not inventing, but rediscovering the fact that Christian church has always been Mm -hmm. multicolored, um, multicultural, multilinguistic, diverse. And so that's what we are now uh, pushing towards, for example, uh, at Fuller, trying to do justice to the fact that um, there are now in Africa, continent of Africa, more Christians than in any other mm-hmm. continent, um, and um, when we think uh, of the future of Christianity, the what used to be in the about say even one hundred years ago, which used to be the dominant form, like white Euro American Protestantism, has already become a minority. And um, so it, uh, we are not yet even nearly at the point in which we do justice to the diversity of the global church. But I'm telling you, we are doing much better than we did uh, about 30 years ago hmm. when I studied hmm. in hmm. Helsinki.
0: Interesting. What got us to that point then where Westerns are hesitant to... Or Western Christians are hesitant to, you know, engage with the global voices. Why are we hesitant?
1: I think there are many reasons. One is uh, hmm. ignorance, ignorance in the sense that um, until, say, mid twentieth century, before um, we began to live in a global village uh, in terms of communication in terms of traveling, exchange between um, various continents, and certainly before uh, the emergence um, of the virtual world. It was quite natural and understandable for various kinds of uh, people groups uh, live apart from each other. Let me go back in history and... Uh, the well-known example when in the speaking of christian um calendar uh in the beginning of the seventh century a.d islam arose mm. um it was, they used to be called uh, arabian peninsula still is but uh it, it it was a local local religion at least until that that, that is the seventh century Um, fast forward to the 16th or 17th Mm. century uh, it is estimated that by far most Christians even if they had heard the name Muslim they didn't really know anything much even Martin Luther the great reformer when he talked about the Muslims he usually named them as Mm. Turks People coming from hmm. Turkey, Turkey, because that was the only place he knew that there are some followers hmm. of Islam. So think about that. No wonder, um, like in my confessional books, if there are occasional notes about uh, religious or cultural diversity, first of all, there are not. But if there are. They are very ignorant, they tend to be pejorative um, and even you go to the time of picking uh, of the modern mm. misery movement at the end of seventeenth early eighteenth uh, 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 later nineteenth century, the way we Westerners talk about, for example, people in Africa, think about the names i don 't want to even mention uh, they were good natured christians passionate for sharing christ's love but the way they spoke of the people Mm. in the mission fields uh, we wouldn't tolerate it anymore and so therefore we also have to be very understanding and kind had we lived in the same kind of world with no internet no communication never seen a person of different color let alone different religion and only heard some rumors how bad, how evil, how undeveloped they are, how strange they are. Yeah. We yeah. are humans.
0: Yeah, interesting. So on that note, then, how do we find common ground, but still, like, I'm sure there are listeners who say, you know, I I haven't released the episode yet, but I interviewed a, a theologian from Kenya on his book on his comparison of Justin Martyrs logos theology and and uh, ancestral theology uh, and, with Jesus uh-huh. and, and so that, as an example how do we i'm sure there are listeners who say okay yeah g- diverse voices that's great but what ha- like when do we actually lose orthodoxy i guess is the question how do how do we balance yeah.
1: that yeah <laughs> yes that's again very important question particularly for us who are sorts of uh, evangelicals Again, a brief uh, detour into history uh, might be enlightening. What orthodoxy is, for example, about Christology, is basically what is uh, left when we have cancelled out all Hmm. heresies. If you think of, uh, for example, the early creeds, say, the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed uh, 381, based on 325 Nicene Council, um, if you look at all the statements uh, in the second uh, article on Christ, which is the longest one, there are not too many hmm. affirmations. There are. Uh, he was conceived uh, by the Holy Spirit, born of Virgin Mary. But there are a lot of things said about what we do not believe, let alone if you go to Chalcedon, fifty-one, which basically is saying that, um, I mean, implying that if you want to be a right believer, orthodox in your Christology, this is what you are not to believe, what you ought mm-hmm. not to believe. It tells us that, from the very beginning, Christian Church has had to negotiate what is considered and deemed to be the yeah. right belief. And we believe, uh, on the basis of biblical teaching, that the Holy Spirit, um, the the second uh, counselor, the paracrit, um, will guide and help us to get uh, even into deeper um, sense of truth in Christ but even in the think about that even in the New Testament say Acts 15 the so-called uh, Council of Jerusalem there was a lot of heated debate among hmm. apostles among those folks uh, who were closer to say St. Paul and those who were with um, closer to St. James and others and, and you wonder, like, how is it that people who helped found the Christian church, in, like uh, Apostle Paul, that they didn't have it like uh, what, what is claimed in Islam? In Islam, it is believed that the, the word of God and the main doctrines um, were received verbatim without any human mediation uh, in those uh, remarkable um, nights. Uh, when the prophet was in the cave not so in Christianity mm-hmm. or Judaism our the doctrine of uh, the the way we received revelation is through uh, uh, uh it is a process uh in time intertwined with historical happenings uh, human failures misunderstandings fights mm-hmm. debates and yet um guided by the Sovereign uh, Holy Spirit and the Triune God. So, uh, again, now going back uh, to your question, Justin, how do we avoid um, heresies and uh, syncretism? There is no one water-tight answer. One is that, um, similarly to our forebears, we need to be mindful to not to give up basic uh, convictions, which we believe are based uh, in the scripture, which is the highest authority, and also the development of the doctrine, like the creeds. And um, we need to trust that as we communally deliberate, pray, worship, and teach the word and teach our ministers, That um, we are kept, at least the the church as a whole, has the promise of never going astray to the point that we lose the gospel.
0: Mm. Interesting.
1: That's what Jesus uh, has uh, promised.
0: No, I I appreciate you centering that on the gospel, that that's that's helpful, because I find it interesting, you know, engaging in, you know, one of your um, modules, one of the weeks that we had to study was um, you you tagged a video by Dr. Ebony Marshall Terman, you know, and uh, womanist Christology. Yeah. I actually, I have a, a recording with her that I will be publishing soon. And I, I'm, you know, I love, I love this stuff, mm. but as I'm doing it, I'm also starting to wonder like, how far is too far? but that's helpful. If we lose mm-hmm. the sense of the gospel then we've yeah. gone too far. No, that's that's incredibly yes. helpful. So I'd love to yes. get into some examples of plural Christological or Christological challenges posed by theological pluralisms. So can you talk about some of those and how how uh
1: yeah. Yes. Um, there are Theologians, um, uh, Christian theologians, uh, whom we call theological pluralists, who, for example, assume that uh, notwithstanding um, apparent differences in religions uh, in terms of um, how they worship, in terms of their holy scriptures, they assume that ultimately, Um, in depth they are all Mm. the same and therefore no religion has the right to propose anything unique they believe some of these theological pluralists that um, all religions are equally salvific (laughs) or equally not salvific, Mm. basically that ultimately There is some kind of what is called a rough parity among religions. But that is very problematic uh, for classical Christianity and uh, evangelicalism because it um, conflicts with um, the basic uh, Christian, the biblical message that... um, only those uh, who have seen um, Jesus Christ um, have seen the Father, if I put it a little bit um, oversimplific. The idea that, um, yes, there are notions of the deity, there are good and valid ideas and insights uh, um, among the people, like uh, Acts 17, the, um, the speech uh, on the Areopag by St. Paul tells us But in order to fully know Mm. God, the triune God, which is in itself um, totally unknown uh, in other religions, that one has to go through the portal of Jesus Mm. Christ. Now having said that, and that is something that all classical Christianity, that everybody in classical Christianity um, agrees with, there are still many um, details and uh, many facets to how exactly, for example, we understand the destiny of those yeah. who have heard the gospel and such. But the basic idea is that in order to be Christian, one cannot and could not and should not um, marginalize, marginalize the uniqueness of Jesus as the not only as the embodiment of revelation, but as God, as um, God-Man, who is the unique um, way to to um, mm. eternal life. So, when we talk about when we robustly talk about diversity, globality, it is not meant to water down or leave behind the uniqueness of mm. Jesus. And in this respect, I have a great, uh, this is one of the reasons why I greatly appreciate um, the world's uh, largest mm. church's standpoint, which of course uh, is the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, about nowadays, over 50% of all uh, Christians in the, chur- in the world uh, roman catholics and they are going to hold their own even though i do not uh, fully subscribe to what is called uh, catholic inclusivism i greatly appreciate their willingness to uphold christ as the fulfillment of revelation and uh, mm. salvation And if there are, for example, good-willing Hindus or Buddhists or seculars who might uh, be saved, they can only be saved uh, through Christ, and that only in Christ there is the fulfillment Mm. of salvation. That is something that I more and more rarely hear uh, in my own um, mainstream uh, Protestant communities.
0: Mm. Okay. Okay, no that's 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 helpful. No, that's just yeah. Hmm. Can you talk you said um the catholic inclusivity what was that concept?
1: Yeah, the, the catholic um uh, church's um official doctrine is called um inclusivism which means that um on the one hand salvation can be found only in Jesus Christ. This is similar to uh, what is called exclusivism, namely that only, those, that only Christ, there are no other saviors. But mm. the, on the other hand, the Catholic Church, uh, after Vatican II, 19, uh, 1960s, is saying that it's possible that there are people in other faith traditions who, uh, for uh, reasons... Or who might be saved, if even if they never heard of the gospel for reasons are not of their own. So, for mm. example, if there's a practicing Buddhist who never heard of Christ, never was given a chance to to respond to Christ, but who otherwise uh, is uh, searching for the truth and and living uh, such moral life with. Which is um, given to him or her in the structure of the religion, that person might be saved, not because of Buddhism, but because of Christ. Mm. So it's a very ingenious, very ingenious um, way, and it's also called fulfillment theory of religion because it says that only in Christ there is full salvation. Period, and therefore um, Catholics still continue similar to evangelicals they still continue doing um, traditional mission work because even if there might be people like Muslims uh, some Muslims who can be saved Catholics believe that uh, the church is mandated to uh, preach the gospel and seek to um, to make them disciples
0: in mm. mm. that doctrine, Inclusivity was that or inclusivism, was that influenced by Carl Rahner? Is that who that's called? Yes,
1: Carl Rahner. Carl Rahner was one of the um theologians um in the 1950s um, and sixties um who were theological architects of so-called American two council 60 to 65 Yeah. And uh he um yeah, so his influence is there, but um but it's, it's a much wider um, sure. church as uh, stand link
0: sure so to wrap us up I'm curious what what do you have to say or what encouragement can you offer some what I would call puritists I do think you know every Christian sect has people who think their sect is the way and are ignorant or fearful of Uh, engaging with others. So what what encouragement do you have for them?
1: Right. Thank you, Justin. Uh, It's a great question. First of all, um, recall that I am uh, an ecumenist by training. Um, Ecumenical studies um, do not seek to cancel out or ignore differences among Christian churches, like Roman Catholics have different beliefs uh, from Lutherans or Pentecostals. Baptists uh, are somewhat different from Methodists and so forth. But what um, I, as an ecumenist and as a minister of the church, is uh, I am convinced of the fact that um, there's more than one way of understanding many details about who Christ is what is the fullness of salvation?
0: Mm.
1: How to best uh, get in touch with Jesus? Uh, how to present the gospel? As long as we are centering around the gospel, as you mentioned earlier, which means we are centered around Jesus and therefore the triune God, um, uh, beginning from the biblical testimonies, of the New Testament uh, testimonies, Um, there are complementary ways um, of uh, believing in Jesus. At the same time, as we have talked about, it should not lead to syncretism nor to such theological pluralism which begins to marginalize, perhaps even set aside, the uniqueness of Jesus. So, we oscillate between the danger of uh, beginning to marginalize mm-hmm. Jesus the only way and then this idea what you've called a puritanism uh, I may also call it a Christian tribalism it's yeah. Yeah. only our tribe mm-hmm. which um, has seen the full light because like I said open the New Testament and um, look at how differently uh, Jesus is uh, talked about for example in the book of Hebrews mm-hmm in the book of Revelation and say in the Gospel of Mark. Mm. And yet, they are all centered around the Gospel. And even the debates uh, I said about how, how, what is uh, the best way of talking about salvation in Christ. Uh, Romans 3, Paul, and James 2, uh, James, almost um, antagonistic to each other, and yet they are not.
0: Yeah.
1: Hmm. Hmm. They both are centered on Christ. There was no such kind of pluralistic idea that perhaps something else or somebody else saves us. But rather, what is the best way to talk about how Christ saves us?
0: Hmm. Hmm. Well, th- thank you so much, Dr. VMK, for your time, your expertise, and just your willingness to let me pick your brain for almost an hour this is so fruitful and i I hope the listeners uh found some insight and are encouraged to check out your books
1: thank you very much uh justin for your ministry and i'll forward to getting a link and uh circulating it around my own um social platforms absolutely
0: all right thank you so much thank you god bless you you've just listened to another episode of young and sanctified you can support us by continuing to listen sharing an episode with a friend or leaving a review find us on instagram or facebook and if you'd like to leave some feedback you can reach out to justin personally through his email which you can find in the show notes your feedback helps us grow as a podcast until next time friends